Hey, everyone. This is Matt Dixon. I'm the Chief Research and Innovation Officer at Tether. And Ted McKenna, SVP of Research Innovation, also here at Tether. And thanks so much for joining us for what is now episode three of our second season here in the Tether podcast series. And we're exploring customer effort through an AI lens. And for those of you that that were able to listen to the first couple episodes, the first one, we sort of just introduced the, the series and talked a little bit about you know, why are we exploring this? How are we thinking about kind of revisiting this topic in 2021 after about 10 years worth of uh, observation about the customer effort score and how things are going? And then second episode, we sort of dove deep into you know, what was the occasion for the research and why is loyalty such an important thing for customer contact centers to, to care about? And what we're going to cover here is what the research tells us about you know, what actually works uh, what doesn't work? We're going to cover a little bit of the kind of the business case behind why reduce effort, and then we'll end the, with a tee up of some of the coming episodes as we get into the solve. How do we go about doing that? But Matt, why don't you start with you know giving us a sense for from a research perspective? What did the data tell us about what actually works and what doesn't with respect to driving loyalty? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, excited to do this. We're going to shoehorn a lot of information into a short period of time. And of course, some of the listeners have already read the book, which is great. So this will be a bit of a refresher. But for those of you who haven't read the book, a lot more information obviously is in the book and quite a bit of uh, writing we've done around this topic of customer effort on the Tether blog. So check that out as well if you'd like to learn more. But we'll give you the kind of drinking from the fire hose version. So, uh, and, and by the way, just as a quick piece of background, and this is interesting because it, it speaks a little bit to what, uh, Ted, you talked about in the last episode. We're going to be putting on uh, a, a 21st century kind of spin or, or updated spin on this, this whole story. This is Think of this as the revised modern technology edition of uh, the Effortless Experience, but in podcast form. Even the research itself, the methodology we used was pretty old. Uh, so if I think about where we got the data to produce the big findings I'm going to share with you here in a moment. It was primarily a survey of customers uh, from around the world. Now, these were customers. We went to companies and we asked them for lists of customers' uh, email addresses, uh, primarily, who had recent service experiences. So these were customers who reached out to the contact center. Maybe they had an email exchange. Maybe they came into a store to get a problem resolved, et cetera. But they, they had the customer information. They had a recent service interaction. And we reached out to those customers and we asked them to fill out a survey. And the survey covered all the ins and outs of of that experience you know what happened um what did you you know what did you try first when did you end up reaching out to the company what channel did you use if it was the phone we asked a whole bunch of questions about the nature of the interaction with the representative if it was the website we asked about you know well what did you click on where did you go did it help you out did it get you you know leave you more confused etc if it was an email you know how long was the the lag between when you sent it when you get a response back did the response actually solve your problem etc and at the end really trying to understand Again, was the problem resolved? Did you have to recontact the company? What was your state of mind at the end of that interaction? And ultimately asked, uh, how loyal are you to the business, to the company as a function of uh, that experience? In fact, we didn't ask that question in that way. We asked specifically, as a result of this interaction, the service interaction and the way it was handled, how likely would you be to uh, do three things? One is to keep buying from the company. So to uh, in the in company terms, to be a retained customer, right? How likely are you to stay with the company, keep buying from the company? How likely are you to buy more from the company? So in business circles, we would think of that as expanding share of wallet, right? From customer perspective, it just means how how likely would you be to give more of your hard-earned money to this company if they asked, if they gave you a an upsell or cross-sell offer, or they they tried to pitch you on a premium version of the product or service you have, how likely would you be to say yes as a function 
of how this recent service interaction went? And then lastly, how likely are you to say good things about this experience, about this company to friends, colleagues, uh, family members, et cetera? So we kind of had a three-part definition. It was retention, share of wallet, and word of mouth. Uh, I got to say, we're going to talk about why that method is is maybe on the older side and yeah. you know how we sort of approach it. But man, just I just have to pause here as a researcher. What a well-designed survey, man. That the, the types of questions and the data you got are just so rich. It, it was. It, it was it was a bear to fill out for customers. <laughs> so, yeah, well, there's you know, that. But, yes. But it's interesting because it's it's a lot of work to deploy a survey like that. I mean, it, it takes customers a lot of time to fill it out. As you can imagine, there were a lot of companies. We worked with 300, 400 companies. I think in the end, for the initial run of data, we only got about 100 of those companies who agreed to let us interview their customers. And part of the reason was the other 300 in the membership were a little bit nervous about us going out with a you know 30-minute long survey that really... Yeah. You know, because they're they're a burden to the customer, and they were worried about bugging them. And hey, we we're sending out another survey soon, and we we don't want to depress the response rates there. And and even across those hundred companies, you know, you don't get anything close to a hundred percent response rate. But yes, when it was filled out, we got tremendous, uh, really tremendous data. It was it was terrific. Now there were three big findings, as you alluded to, Ted. There are three findings that came out of the of the quantitative data. And so these are the three that we use to set up the book. They're the three I talk about when I'm up on stage uh, presenting the effortless experience. And I'll walk through them here. The first one, the first finding is that delight doesn't pay. So remember in the second episode, we talked about the Joshua the Draft story. We talked about the Wall of Fame. We talked about how you know the conventional wisdom is we need to go above and beyond. And so, and I'm realizing again, this is a little bit tougher to do in an in a audio podcast, but imagine if you will a grid which has on the vertical axis loyalty. So at the bottom, it's less loyal and at the top is more loyal. And the horizontal axis, you go from below expectations to meeting expectations to exceeding expectations. Now, what I like to show and demonstrate is that the conventional wisdom is that we don't actually generate a lot of loyalty until we get to that point of exceeding customer expectations, delivering that Joshy the Draft moment, that moment of wow. And that's when the loyalty curve really takes off. So it's kind of flat up to the point of meeting expectations. When you go beyond meeting expectations, it really starts to kick up. It looks kind of like a hockey stick or a a J curve. That's the above and beyond, right? That's exactly right. And what we found in the data though, is across, uh, I think it was uh, more than 100,000 customer responses, 125,000 customer responses in the initial data cut. Well, and that's since been expanded over the years through follow-on studies, but the original cut, what we talk about in the book, 125,000 responses, that those customers, who reached out to companies and whose expectations were exceeded were actually no more loyal than those customers whose expectations were simply met. In fact, the curve looks exactly the opposite. So think about if the way companies think is this curve that starts low and then kicks way up when you get to beyond expectations, the customer curve actually goes up when you get to meets expectations, but then it flattens out beyond that point. And so there are two big kind of head snapping uh, takeaways for practitioners. One is that we actually generate a lot of benefit, a lot of goodwill, a lot of loyalty with our customers when we simply meet their expectations. Like when we do the stuff they want us to and expect us to do, that's pretty good uh, in the customer's mind. And then the second big takeaway is this, that as we go, and this is probably the bigger head snapper, as we go beyond meeting expectations to exceeding expectations, the customer's loyalty flattens out. And what that immediately conjures up there's a couple of different things. One is uh, people start asking, it's kind of like the stages of grieving, I think. So there's like anger and then there's denial and then there's hard questions. And, <laughs> and you know, people start asking a hard question, well, 
how did you ask this? And who was in the sample? And, and was my industry in this? Surely my industry is not in this because in our industry, delaying customers is great. And you're telling me that doesn't work just, but it doesn't work for other industries. This is relevant to us. But once we get through that stuff and people kind of come to terms with this, there's this sinking feeling that practitioners have, which is, oh my goodness, I've been standing up in front of my contact center and handing out Starbucks gift cards or like Lucite trophies for years, you know, with a wall of fame, painting up thank you notes from customers and in praising people in organization-wide memos for doing exactly the thing you're telling me doesn't actually pay off. So what you're telling me is we spend a lot of energy. And by the way, if we think about what it takes to exceed expectations and we really get down to brass tacks, it's usually, it means giving things away. So it means making refunds. It costs money, yeah. It costs a lot of money, yeah. It longer calls typically, right? It means escalate calls that are escalated to supervisors and you got to talk to that or tier two engineers or whatever it is, but they you know, they keep wanting to talk to somebody more senior who gets paid more money and whose time is more scarce. We give things away, free refunds, give backs, out of warranty service, policy exceptions, all kinds of things that cost our business money. They eat into our profitability, but we do it in the name of delighting our customers, of wowing them. And what these practitioners, when they see this, suddenly realize is, holy smokes, you're telling me I'm spending all this time and energy trying to get my frontline to delight people and all this money trying to do it. And you're telling me that it's not that my customers aren't paying me back with their loyalty. So what am I spending this money and this time and energy on? And so that becomes a real kind of like deer in the headlights moment for uh, executives. Now, the second question, I, I think the second big finding. So if the first one is delight doesn't pay. The logical question then is, well, what impact does a service interaction actually have on a customer's loyalty? That moment, a moment of truth, mind you, when the customer reaches out to a company for help because the product or service they bought isn't working or not doing what the customer needs it to do, and they reach out to the company for help, what is the impact of that moment, that interaction on a customer's loyalty? And here's kind of where we went from surprising finding to pretty depressing finding, which is that customer service interactions have a almost 4x greater probability of leaving a customer in a state of disloyalty than loyalty. So they're four times more likely to get off that phone call, get out of that email exchange, wrap up that chat session with the company more disloyal to the brand than they were at the beginning. Now, I think sometimes people hear that and they the knee-jerk reaction is, well, that stands to reason because the customer is having a problem. They're not in a good state of mind, right? But that's not actually what the data is saying. What the data is saying is that customer may be in a bad state of mind, but by the way that we handle it, we actually make it worse, not better. It's not even just that we don't delight. We actually make things way worse than they were before the customer reached out. Now, yeah, so delight is bad, or sorry, delight doesn't really pay, yep. but really bad is really bad. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. right. Yeah, it, it's it's almost like think about again the origins of the research. the The spotlight is on the contact center. The CEO is asking, "What can we do to deliver customer service that wins the hearts and minds of our customers that generates loyalty?" And and everyone's thinking, "Well, we got to do more delight, right? We got to blow our customers away with phenomenal service, deliver that wow moment." Hey, team at CEB, go tell us how to do that. And in fact, that was our goal when we started out the study. And the first thing we find is, actually, that doesn't really work. And then the second thing we find is, actually, you do more harm than good. <laughs> and so, so this this is a really like depressing moment in the presentation. But then now we get to the good news, which is the third uh, set of findings. As we unpack that disloyalty effect, you know, remember I said four times greater probability that a customer would be disloyal than loyal at the end of a service interaction, and we unpack it. What we actually find is a set of what I'd call usual suspects of bad customer service. And so there are a defined set of things 
that create that disloyalty effect. Things like repeat contacts when the customer has to you know, call you back four times, three, three, four, five times to get an answer. Channel switching. When they go to your website or your app trying to self-serve and solve the problem on their own, but they get turned around, they get confused, they can't accomplish what they're trying to get done, then they have to pick up and, and call. Not because they wanted to have a nice chat with one of your nice agents, but because they were stuck, right? They had no other place to go. They couldn't do it on their own. Transfers. So when the, the customer calls into one department, but they're told, well, you got to talk to billing or tech support. That's not our area. I can't even transfer you. You got Here's their phone number. Repeating information. When the customer calls in and every time they have to call back repeatedly, they have to tell their story over and over again because you know, the rep isn't getting the full story from the notes that the last rep left in the CRM system, or even small things like when you call up your bank or your cable company and they ask you to authenticate. And then the first thing the rep asks you is to re-authenticate, which is pretty annoying. Uh, robotic service. You know, when a customer calls up and they feel like they're being treated in a generic number, like I'm a policy number or a customer number to you. I'm not a person with real feelings who is expecting kind of a tailored interaction because I have wants and needs, likes and dislikes, uh, et cetera, but I'm being treated robotically or generically. Policies and processes that customers are forced to endure. So these are sort of the the things that agents tend to hide behind, right? Like I can't I can't get that to you in the time frame you've asked. Yeah, the red tape. Um, the red tape. That's right. It, and it feels like this stuff exists solely for the purpose of frustrating customers, right? Uh, you know, the reps can't explain it. You know, the customer's thinking you're only doing this because it's cheaper for you, but you can't explain to me why this makes any sense. And it's just making me really angry. And when we looked at this list, what we call drivers of disloyalty, those were statistically speaking, the things that created that disloyalty effect. What our team said, I still remember being in this meeting, you know, more than 10 years ago now, somebody looked at that and said, these are all sources of customer effort. And I think somebody said, well, what do you mean by that? And they said, well, think about it. This is all about the work that companies put on their customers' plates to get their own problems resolved. And by the way, those are problems that the company created because the thing they sold the customer isn't doing what the customer needs it to do. So <laughs> yeah, like, so they reach out to the company for help and then the company runs them through this grist mill. They make them call back. They make them tell their story over and over again. They transfer them. They send them to a website that confuses the heck out of them. Then they pick up the phone and call. They treat them generically and robotically. They throw up red tape and these bureaucratic kind of policy uh, obstacles. And so no surprise, those customers who reached out already in a bad state, have to go through that grist mill and they leave in a state of even greater disloyalty there's, towards there's the company. probably a rip here on like beta releases and the damage done in terms of the effort that customers have yeah. to go through. But yeah, it's a pretty interesting uh, way to think about it. Yeah, it's in, you know, so the so the big takeaway, what I always tell folks is that the number one thing you want to remember from all this research, decades worth of research, I think all told that we put into this customer effort. And as Ted and I are going to talk about for the remainder of this podcast series, a concept that we continue to explore and we find many new facets to as we use modern technology to really explore this idea of customer effort and more importantly, what to do about it. But one of the things I tell people is remember this, rather than trying to delight your customers in those service moments in the hopes of making them more loyal, instead, the better strategy is to play great defense, to mitigate disloyalty and by doing that, by reducing these sources of customer effort. So in other words, make service easier than you're making it today. And when you do that, you'll make it less effortful for your customers and you'll mitigate that natural disloyalty effect. And so, yeah, surprise and delight, is, and we'll talk about this um, later, makes sense in certain areas. But one of the areas that doesn't make sense is when things have gone wrong. In those moments, it makes sense to make it easy for your customers. That's the best thing that we can do as business leaders. Yeah, it's it's so interesting because I mean, on, on some level, make things easier for customers sounds like such an obvious, you know, comment. But 
both to your point on the fact that when you start to look below the surface, you know, that there is really this giant iceberg <laughs> beneath the surface yeah. in terms of all of the places that effort actually shows up across the customer journey. That's right. Um, and the customer service and the customer contact arena, those agents are often at the brunt of it, right? They're the ones yeah. having to deal with effort that's created, you know, not to their fault, but they now have to deal with it. Yeah. Um, but then secondarily though, and perhaps maybe more interesting, and maybe we can take the conversation here is, yeah, that's all fine and good, except we just also got done saying how tempting delight is <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and how people are comped on MPS and, and whatnot. How realistic is it really that we're going to like point our guns now at customer effort and take our eye off of delight? Like, why would I do that? What's the, what's the case for doing that? Yeah. So that's, it's, it's a great question. And, and you know, it, it is true that this is, and I said this myself, it is so woven into the, the kind of pillars of conventional wisdom out or the pillars of the way we do things is so part of the conventional wisdom that it's really hard to disentangle ourselves from it. It's not, you know, I, I realistically don't expect anybody after hearing me present this or reading the book to go and like tear down the wall of fame in their contact center, right. Or, or cancel that press release, which is going to go out with their own Joshi, the draft story and, you know, make their own customers cry and like in, in this kind of thing. So it's really hard to not do it, do it. It's, it's very tempting to do it. And so what I always like to do is share a little bit more of the business case. And so there are top line benefits to reducing effort and there are bottom line benefits. So on the top line, remember, the way we define loyalty was likelihood of a customer to repurchase, uh, likelihood for the customer to spend more, and likelihood of that customer to, to say good things about the company. Uh, that was the three-part definition of loyalty. So then the, the litmus test would be, does it make a difference when we deliver a low effort or a high effort experience in terms of those three dimensions? So the first thing we looked at was repurchase rates. And what we found was 94% of customers who had low effort, easy experiences. So these were customers who didn't have to go through that grist mill that I just described. 94% of those customers reported that they would be they would intend or they would be inclined to re-up with the company. They'd be inclined to buy again from that company. No, no predisposition, no inclination to look elsewhere to entertain competitive offers. 4% of customers who had high effort experiences, so who did have to go through some version of that grist mill, only 4% of them said the same thing. So 94% said, yeah, I'd buy again. Only 4% of those who went through high effort, difficult interactions said the same thing. Share of wallet, the same exact effect. 88% of customers with easy experiences said they'd be inclined to spend more. Only 4% of customers who went through difficult service interactions said that they would be inclined to spend more of their hard-earned money with that company. And then word of mouth is a little bit of the opposite effect. So what we looked at specifically was, again, because we know that customer service tends to be a source of disloyalty or a creator of disloyalty, we looked at the likelihood that customers would badmouth the company, so negative word of mouth. And what we found is only 1% of customers who had easy interactions said anything negative about the company you know, to friends, family, coworkers, or on social media. Compare that with 81% of customers who had difficult uh, experiences uh, with those companies. 81% of them went out of their way to badmouth the company. And, and here's the thing is, um, it, it's a little bit of an unfair thing, but what we know is, uh, we unpack this in more detail in the book, customers are much more likely to share bad experiences than they are good experiences. So that's the other thing about Delight. It, it makes for a great press release, but those customers who are delighted, they typically don't go tell other people. They might tell a few people, but those customers who will feel like they're wronged, they tell everybody. And, and we documented this uh, statistically in the book. It's a It's a multiple in terms of word of mouth when you're talking about negative experiences versus positive. Now, if we look at the overall disloyalty effect, there are 96% of customers who had high effort experiences 
displayed the, the difficult experiences, displayed some kind of disloyalty attitude or behavior. Um, not likely to buy again, not likely to spend more, very likely to say to badmouth you. And only 9% of customers who had easy experiences displayed any of those disloyalty attitudes or behaviors. So that's the top line benefit. So we know from the data, making it easy makes good sense in terms of plugging the hole in the loyalty bucket, as you said the, uh, in the last discussion, Ted. The second thing we know is from a bottom line perspective, we look at cost, it is actually way cheaper to deliver a low effort, easy experience. So we were also able to collect uh, some cost benchmarking data over the years, and we mapped that up against effort level. And what we found is that the cost to serve difference between a high effort and a low effort experience is 37%. So nearly 40% cheaper to deliver a low effort, easy experience. Now, sometimes people look at that and they say, well, but being isn't being easy to do business with actually you know, ironically hard to do, especially for big companies and regulated industries with legacy processes and technology and policies and just think ways of doing things. And that is true. Being easy to do business with is hard. And we're going to spend the rest of the series talking about how to make that easy for you. But, you know, it makes intuitive sense. So we think about it, a low effort experience is one in which your customer only has to call you once one in which they don't get transferred multiple times. They don't have to demand to speak to a supervisor. They don't have to repeat their story over and over again. Maybe if they went to the digital channel, they actually found what they needed and could solve it on their own. So it actually makes sense that that would be a more streamlined and efficient experience, not just for the customer, but also for your company to deliver. So you know, we don't often have uh, examples of cost savings that customers want, but I would say Making service easier is a cost savings that your customers want you to execute big time. <laughs> you know, yeah, so, to me, this makes it such a killer thing, right? Because yeah. we're so used to quality assurance being the primary mechanism in the customer service arena for us looking for improvements in efficiency and productivity. And you know, those things make sense for our business, right? When we want to to make sure that our our teams are are executing the things we hope for, they're scripting things the way we need, they're staying in compliance and so forth. But this is a win-win when you get to both save money and make the customer happier at the same time. And then, and then beyond that, you're also reducing churn, uh, which, is, which is all that more helpful to the business itself. Yeah, absolutely. No, really well said. You know, I, I think, again, it's, it can be a hard thing to do. I, one of the things I find that people struggle with a little bit is this idea of going out and celebrating just doing your job or being average, you know. Like I don't, I don't know about your parents, said, but my parents right. like they weren't giving me a pat on the back for bringing. Yeah, you're and, good you know, enough. <laughs> no, you're just you're totally average, you know. <laughs> and um, nobody gets excited about that. But I tell you what, what I find interesting is that companies, you, this idea of delight, it, it's powerful, right? It's attractive, it's alluring, but it kind of falls apart when it comes to execution because when you get up as a head of customer service and you tell your frontline agents, whether that's a dozen people or whether that's you know 12,000 people, that you want them to go out and delight customers, that's going to mean something slightly different for almost every person out there. And so it's a very subjective thing. It's very fuzzy. But if you tell people instead, what I want you to focus on is making it easy for the customer. So think yeah. about how do we make this easy? Boy, People get really concrete really fast because they see all the things every single day that the company does and that they do personally that makes the interaction hard. And so it becomes much more tangible and practical. Yeah, you guys asked about yeah, scale of expectations, right? So it was yeah. about exceeding expectations, which is different than ease, right? So, and we measure this all the time. In fact, we have this algorithm called the Tether Effort Index where we'll dive into this in much more detail in future episodes. But yep. 
there's this scale from difficult all the way to easy. And even on the easy side of the spectrum, like there is definite value in getting to the easy side as opposed to sort of not difficult, if you will. So it's, yeah. it's, it's, there's either difficult, there's not difficult. And then there's, there's easy, easy still pays off. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, no, a- absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, the, um, I, I find, I find that that, again, that's a, a place I'll, I'll share one other real quick story. Um, again, this idea of like, how do I rally the troops? I, the first thing I say is like, understand it might feel like you're rallying the troops around delight, but they don't really know what that means. And it falls apart when it comes to execution. <laughs> yeah. So they get rallied about the thing they can do something about and that making things easier for customers is something they can get their heads around. They can do something about because it, it, that is concrete. And we tend to, you know, all those agents will tend to agree on the things that we do as a company or they do as agents that make life difficult for customers. Right. Whereas they'll probably disagree on what it, what's going to, it's going to take to delight somebody. Yeah. Right? It makes my job very tangible, very, very yeah. day-to-day tactical that I can, okay, now I know I'm going to do The other thing that's interesting also is that, you know, ch- customers' expectations change over time. Yeah. Right. So uh, one customer's expectation for ease might be different than another, but easy is sort of easy. Right. And, um, you know, in many ways, my expectations for ease are, are, uh, are borne out by my experiences with other brands too. You know, That's Amazon right. and Apple probably have done more than any other company in the world to set expectations for what ease is. And so, you know, getting to that easy end of the spectrum may not be exceeding their expectations, but it still achieves really good things because yeah. they find it easy and, and they're more likely to stay then. That's right. That's right. A real quick um, other uh, story I'll share with you just in terms of how do you, how do you get people excited about this? There was a company I visited years ago that was in uh, northern Minnesota. So it was a big football country. And I remember going to visit them and I visited their contact center. And they had, you know, in college football, the sticker, helmet stickers when a player makes a great play and they get the sticker on the, you know, yeah, whether the it's Buckeyes for yeah, State or, yeah. Yeah, right. The Tiger Paws if you're at Clemson or whatever yep. it is. And you get those on your, your helmet and it's a moment of recognition. So they did the same kind of thing. So they were big on the, this idea, drinking the Kool-Aid on effort reduction. And they were thinking, we know how to get people excited about these delight moments. And everyone loves the, the gift card or the, the plaque or the recognition from the CEO when that happens. How do we get people as excited about making things easy for customers? And so what they did was they put a football helmet like up on the cube wall of like every single rep in the contact center. And then they gave everyone in the contact center a sheet of stickers and had the company logo on it. Oh no, sorry, it didn't it had the company logo, but then it had um, uh, this, it said effort with a little slash mark through it, right? So you're eliminating effort, kind of like the no smoking sign. And so every time, the idea was every time as a rep, you heard one of your colleagues, you just, you eavesdropped and you heard one of your colleagues making things easy for a customer. You went over and you slapped a helmet sticker on their helmet. And then at the end of the day, they gave shout outs to, to their colleagues, you know, Hey, I want to give Jim a shout out I overheard this conversation, clearly dealing with a customer in a, a crisis was able to expedite delivery of the product to them and make sure they got in time for their, for their event. It, you know, things like that. Or, uh, you know, I heard Sarah over here, um, and she, she went to talk to, um, you know, to bill the head of our, um, uh, compliance department about one of the policies we have, which she thinks is kind of outdated and how it causes customers headaches. And Bill said he's going to take a look at it. And he agrees that it probably does need to be revised. So great job, Sarah. You know, so those are cool, just ideas that I've seen out there in nature that it isn't about telling people to be average uh, or celebrating mediocrity. It's practical. And there are definitely ways we can get people excited about uh, making things easier for customers. Yeah, no, that's a great story. I love that, uh, the helmet stickers. Well, before we end, why don't we give a quick preview as to 
you know, this all sounds good, but, you know, what's the how part of this? How do we go about actually helping our teams? We talk about kind of four pillars of things we can go and execute. We're going to blow these out in a lot more detail. um, And I think in particular, in each one of the episodes, we're going to talk through, you know, what does Tether Research tell us about, you know, how this applies? And then we also want to talk a lot about the customer experience today, along with the technology that we have at our disposal to help customers, what does that tell us about each one of these pillars? But do you want to just give kind of a good brief overview of, of each one of these things is, uh, will help us to kind of think through, you know, what's the next step? What do we do about this? Yeah, absolutely. And that's really where the rubber hits the road, right? Because it, it sounds cool, but if we're honest, anybody who's been in the job of, of leading a contact center or running customer service, you know, they know channel switching is bad. They know repeating information is bad. They know generic service is bad. They know repeat contacts are bad. And so the real question is, what do leading companies do differently so that they don't do those things to their customers? And so in the research, what was pretty cool is uh, not just the quantitative findings, but we were able to identify those companies who in the eyes of customers actually get it right. And so one of the other things we did is we went out to those companies and we spent a lot of time with them to really unpack their management processes, their, um, their service operating environment, their culture. What are they doing differently to actually crack the nut on some of these you know, really difficult to to resolve problems that have been out there for a long time in the average customer service organization. The four pillars we found, these are the four things we say low effort companies do. Um, the first one is uh, we call channel stickiness. And channel stickiness is really this idea of like, look, today's customer wants to go to self-service. Uh, you, I think the latest data is that uh, we'll talk about this in more detail, uh, one of the coming episodes, where we talk about digital and omni-channel and the self-service experience. But the reality is that today's customer goes to the web or they go to try to self-serve disproportionately more uh, as a first step than picking up the phone and calling. In fact, I think 80% from the last research we did, 80% of customers who had a problem first went to the company's website or to a digital channel to try to self-serve before they called. It's a channel of choice. And so low-effort companies embrace this. They understand it. But the idea of channel stickiness is all about what are these low-effort companies doing to get their customers to stay in self-service. Because remember, the thing that causes high effort is when the customer gives up in self-service and then they pick up the phone and they call or they they abandon that self-service channel. And so, Got it. So ease starts even before it gets right. to the agent. Yep, right? 100%. And we're going to really unpack this in more detail, what we found in the original research and then what we found since we've been studying this with AI and machine learning, because there's a lot to unpack around this. And, and this is changing as well, right before our eyes, even over the past year, Ted and I wrote about this recently in HBR in 2020, as customers are shifting more and more towards self-service, something that even kicked up much more dramatically during the pandemic. You know, this is changing before our very eyes. And so we're going to update our thinking around this and share some more recent findings as well as recap what we found. I just need to pause here for a moment because we're three episodes in and the first time I think we said anything about pandemic, which which tells you that we've we've made quite a (laughs) a bit of progress. Hopefully many people are vaccinated (laughs) now. Okay, keep going. I I hope this podcast will live on for many years and that people at one point will listen and be like, what are they talking about? What pandemic, pandemic, right? Yeah, right, right. Oh man. Um, So the second pillar of low effort service was something we called next issue avoidance. And so we all know what this is about is, is the idea of issue resolution. In contact centers, the gold standard metric is, I think we all know this, is first contact resolution, right? That one and done service. Customer calls us, we solve their problem in one contact or in one phone call or email exchange or chat session. What we found was that low effort companies, they don't just aspire to solving the issue the customer called in about. They think about how do I forward resolve the issue they might call back about? Just because the customer says at the end of the call, yes, you fully resolved my issue. No, I don't have any other questions. 
doesn't mean they're not going to call back. In fact, a, a huge percentage of those customers do end up calling back for issues that were pertaining to the original issue. And so what we're going to talk about is how do leading companies think one step ahead, not just resolving this issue, but forward resolving the next issue. And this is a really powerful uh, use case for machine learning and AI to think one step ahead for our customers. So we'll be unpacking that as well in a future episode. Pillar number three, an idea we call experience engineering. So one of the really fascinating things uh, from the effortless experience research is that a lot of effort is actually, it's less a function of what the customer had to do. It's, it's actually more a function of how they felt about what they had to do. And so what I mean by that is the way we engage with our customers, specifically the language that we use, is a big swing variable in terms of whether customers feel this is a high effort or this is actually a low effort experience. And so in this pillar of experience engineering, we're going to be talking a lot about the language techniques we know from social science and behavioral economics, uh, human uh, psychology that, that can be used to actually reduce the perception the customer has of the level of effort in their experience. And again, this has been an area that we really unpacked in a tremendous level of detail at Tether as we mine actual conversations to find a whole variety of language techniques, as well as some of their evil twins. And more importantly, really, I think, accelerated what companies can do to get more of their reps doing the good stuff and doing less of the bad stuff uh, yeah, when fact, it comes to those language techniques. As we updated most recently, you know, the measures we have for customer effort, we found out of all the things that, that it drives effort, customer emotion. So to your point, what yeah. do they feel? And Asian behavior, the language they're using, were the two biggest things pulling scores down to those difficult zones. Yeah, yeah. So in some ways, we say the best almost for last. But there is one more yeah. pillar I'll, I'll share with you here. We call it frontline control. I mean, let's be honest. In the world of contact centers today, it's it's often a an effort in mechanization, right? How do we how do we automate? How do we routinize? How do we mechanize? Uh, whether that's through you know tighter metrics. Uh, you script know, adherence, script yeah. adherence, compliance protocols, a quality assurance uh, checklist. You know, it's all an effort to create that kind of wash, rinse, and repeat service experience and have very little variation. But we actually found is that in a world of self-service, as those easy issues like where's my package, can I change my address, what's my balance, you know, is my flight on time, those issues are being solved by self-service. And so what that means is the harder issues are the more complex ones, the ones that have nuance and where context matters, that those are the ones that are actually ending up in the live service environment with our reps. And so um, what low effort companies understand is that the way you deliver a low effort experience in that environment is not to tighten the screws on your reps, but to actually loosen the, the reins on your reps and give them more latitude to use their own judgment to engage with the customer in the way that they see fit. Of course, this raises big questions about who you hire and what kind of climate and and culture you build in your, your contact center, what you measure people on and, and how you manage folks and again, create the right operating environment. And we'll get to all of that stuff. But this is another area, again, where we see AI and machine learning really playing a big role. And as we'll talk about, it's to both the good, uh, ways that they can help reps to deliver that really- Or customers. Yep. Or customers, right? Uh, and deliver that low effort experience. But it's also technology we see all the time being used uh, to to more tighten the screws and kind of tighten the reins on our reps. Um, so it can be a source for good or a source yeah. for evil. And we'll talk more about that. Yeah. And, you know, some obvious implications for things like employee experiences as well. And you know, we, right. we have partners that 
you know, spend lots of time examining those types of things. And this is already, as we know, sort of a high turnover, notoriously high turnover environment in this customer service arena. So it, really excited to kind of get through all four pillars of that last one, I think will be especially interesting as we think about the, the landscape of technology that we have available to us and the choices we make with respect to when we go to help our customers self-serve using uh, technology or when we use technology as a way to assist agents uh, within those, uh, those interactions. You know, what are the lessons we need to hew to as we go through that? That's exactly right. And the last thing I'll say on that idea of the employee experience is, and I'm remiss for not mentioning this, but one of the biggest lessons is low effort begins at home. So what I mean by that is it's really hard for your reps to create a low effort, easy service experience for your customers if you make the job hard for them. And so there's a great way for us to think about it and lots of opportunity for us to think about what are the things we are doing that are getting in the way of our reps and making it hard for them to do their jobs, make it hard for them to deliver that low effort experience. The, the research, again, is very clear on the connection between employee experience and customer experience. So again, we'll unpack this in more detail when we get to that episode. And of course, we're going to talk about a lot more stuff. So we there are questions of, um, of measurement and and how does effort uh, play outside of the context center, right? What does it mean for sales and marketing and product? And we're going to talk about all those other uh, issues as well and put a modern uh, spin, uh, modern technology spin on all of these pillars uh, that we just discussed. Yeah. In fact, that's where we're going to go next. In our next episode is starting to bring in kind of the rest of the organization, especially those that really still do have a bent towards delight, you know, and make sure that we can get them on board help them think through how does product and other organization or parts of the organization fit into this story around reducing effort and contextualize it versus delight. So we'll go there uh, next. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining us for this episode. Look forward to continuing on with you. And Matt, thanks for the, uh, again, revisiting some of these original findings and point painting the picture for where we're going next. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, see everyone next time. 